This morning we're going to turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 contains enormous truths for us as the people of God, as being the sheep of his pasture. And this 10th chapter contains two of the I am sayings of Jesus. We're going to consider them separately. The first, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. And then secondly, he says, I am the good shepherd. R.C. Sproul reminds us, these two expressions need to be distinguished from one another because they do not mean quite the same thing. But even though we distinguish between them, we can never fully separate them. They are closely related to each other. So let me read the first 10 verses of John 10. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we ask your blessing upon the words that we have just read. We know that they were spoken by our Savior while he lived upon this earth. We know that they were spoken in truth. And they are demanding of our attention. We're thankful that you have preserved these words for us. We ask you to give us a hearing of them. Help us to understand these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 10 is such a great portion of scripture. Many times we come to it and let it stand alone. But the important part... To consider this morning is that John chapter 10 is an answer to the Pharisees' question in the 40th verse of chapter 9. They ask the question of Jesus, are we blind also? And John chapter 10 contains the greater part of Jesus' answer to them. You'll remember in the first part of chapter 9, Jesus restores the sight to one who was born blind. 
And that caused all kind of consternation amongst the Pharisees and the ruling elders of the people. They eventually, because of their hatred for Jesus and because they could not stand against the miracle he just worked, they eventually cast this man out of the synagogue. That's in verse 34, chapter 9. They say to him, you were completely born in sins and you were teaching us and so they cast him out. Continuing reading in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, speaking to the man once born blind, whom he gave sight, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? Don't miss the simplicity of that question. It's a good question for all of us to consider as we sit here this morning. Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord? that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you now. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. How could this man born blind whom Jesus mercifully and graciously gave sight to not believe him? He had received good at the hand of Jesus. Jesus continues his conversation with him in verse 39. And Jesus said, it is for judgment I have come into the world. That those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. And when you read the word judgment there in verse 39, perhaps it's better to use the word distinction. It is for this distinction I have come into the world. To produce a judgment. The judgment that Jesus is producing is the one that every one of us will make. Is he or is he not worthy of our trust and of our faith? It is for this distinction that he has come into the world. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him and heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Now, they're not speaking of physical blindness, obviously. And Jesus doesn't misunderstand the question. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. Jesus continually rebuked the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And on this point, he is rebuking their supposed sight. The Pharisees thought that they saw all things spiritual with 20-20 vision. Jesus declares them blind. The Pharisees thought that they knew All that there was to know about spiritual things and about their coming Messiah. But here he stands before them and they don't see him. He has blinded their eyes to himself. But in grace and in mercy he continues to speak. And he continues in the 10th chapter giving answer to their question, are we blind also? Twice in the first 10 verses, Jesus uses these words translated in the New King James most assuredly. Truly, truly, 
Or the King James, verily, verily, I say unto you. A good study is to go and see in all of the Gospels the times that Jesus introduces something He is about to say with these words. Literally, in the original, it's Amen, Amen. And then He expounds some great spiritual truth, most often concerning some aspect of Himself and how He relates to sinful mankind. So he uses these words here in the first verse of chapter 10 to capture the attention afresh and anew of the Pharisees. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you. And what he says here in the first part of chapter 10 further condemns the Pharisees because they not only considered themselves to have perfect spiritual vision, they thought themselves to be the perfect spiritual teachers as well. No doubt they deemed themselves worthy of close attention to any word that came out of their mouth. Jesus, very clearly, in a way that they would certainly not misunderstand in the end, although at the first they did, he tells them that they were nothing more than thieves and robbers. John chapter 10 comes to us in the setting of a shepherd and sheep. John chapter 10, at least these first 10 verses, centers around the illustration of a sheepfold. And so for just a few minutes, I want to describe what this scene may look like because many of us have never seen a sheepfold. And I think though they varied in kind and in nature, the one that Jesus has in mind here, the one that he paints the picture of is a sheepfold that is built of rocks in varying kinds and sizes of stone. Perhaps it's situated into the hillside. And it's in this sheepfold that shepherds would bring their sheep at night. There may be several different flocks of sheep gathered into one sheepfold. The unique thing about this is that the sheepfold only has one door. There is only one way to gain entrance. And every morning... The shepherd would come and he would stand at the door of the sheep. Most likely in this illustration, it was just an opening in the rock, no physical swinging door, just an opening where the doorkeeper would have slept the night before to make sure that no one crept in unnoticed or that any sheep made their way out. So in the morning, the shepherds would come And they would lift up their voice and they would begin to call out their sheep. Name by name. And though we oftentimes attribute rightly dumbness to sheep, apparently they are smart enough to hear the voice of their shepherd. And they would make their way to the door. And the shepherd would turn and lead them out 
to find pasture and to watch over them as they fed. This is the picture that Jesus speaks. This is a picture, an illustration that would have been very well understood by the Pharisees. Though they misunderstand the particular emphasis and point that Jesus is making, no one misunderstood the analogy. And as you are considering this sheepfold, as you have it built in your mind, I want you to consider that there are two types of people who are trying to gain entrance into this fold of sheep. Those, those two types of people are the first category, the thieves and the robbers, and the second, the true shepherds. The true shepherds are obviously there because they want their sheep. They are their rightful property. And they're gaining entrance in the right way. The thief and the robber, on the other hand, want to steal. And they'll use any means necessary. I think that's why we have two descriptions. A thief operates by stealth. A robber by force. That's why we refer to bank robbers and not bank thieves. Robbers enter with strength, armed, ready to do harm and damage to whoever will stand in their way. A thief doesn't want to be seen at all. He wants to lurk around in the shadows. And Jesus says both types are wanting entrance into the sheepfold. But we have to notice the motives. The motives of the first category of the thieves and robbers were told by Jesus that their only desire is to steal what is not rightly theirs, to kill, and to destroy. And to understand the illustration rightly, I think we should understand that Jesus is getting across that these are representative of those who want to totally disrupt the purposes and plan of God for his people. They want to throw it off its course. And we might say it this way, they want to take as many people to hell with them as they possibly can. They are in opposition to God. They will not bow in submission. And they don't want anybody else to either. They are bent on destruction. They are bent on killing and stealing what is not rightfully theirs. But in great contrast to these thieves and robbers... There are true shepherds who faithfully every morning come to this door of the sheep. Their motive is far different. Their motive is to come and do good to the sheep. Their motive is to come and protect them, to lead them out to still waters and green pastures. To give these sheep abundant Life. You see, life in the sheepfold at night was not abundant. They wanted to come in the day, lead them out to an abundance 
of life. It's interesting to note that Jesus also deals with the reaction of the sheep to each of these categories of people. And we need to understand these reactions by being the true sheep. The true sheep that are in the sheepfold, we are told, will not follow the thief and the robber. Instead, they will flee from them. The reason being is because they do not know their voice. They will not follow the voice of a stranger. Interestingly here, stranger refers to a foreigner, an alien, even an enemy. But the reaction to the shepherd is completely different, isn't it? When they hear the voice of the shepherd, their ears perk up. They are called to attention. They respond as he calls them out by name. And as he turns to lead them out, they follow where he is going. Because they have learned to trust him. They've learned that he is faithful. He's never going to lead them in harm's way. And he will go so far as to lay down his life for them if necessary. So even with the familiarity of this illustration, the scriptures tell us in verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. The reason they didn't understand is because these these things had spiritual meaning. And their eyes were blinded to the spiritual sphere. They saw only in the black and white of nature. And then as Jesus often would do, even for his own disciples, he would give a further explanation of the illustration. This is where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning in verses 7 to 10. So Jesus says to them again, for the second time, introduced by the same sobering words, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. And this follows the same pattern as the first two that we've considered. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. By now we've picked up on the pattern. Jesus is saying, I even I am me, the one standing before you. I am This time he says, the door of the sheep. And there are really two applications that Jesus is making, which I'm going to try to distinguish this morning. There is the door as we consider it to the sheep or as entrance into the sheepfold. And there is the door or the application of Jesus being the door for the sheep 
in that this door also swings the other way and lets sheep out into abundant life. And I want to keep them in those two distinct categories and first consider Jesus as the door to the sheep. I am the door. Notice what he says just after that. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Obviously, we notice the exclusivity of Jesus' statement. In coming weeks, we're going to consider the saying where Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and life. The first part of that statement is nothing more than a reiteration of what he says here. I am the door of the sheep. The only way that you can be saved is to enter the sheepfold by the door of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. That doesn't mean that there aren't others classified as thieves and robbers who are proclaiming and preaching another way. Those same would love to have you listen to them and follow them and come to the same conclusion that they have, and that is that there is indeed another way into the sheepfold of God. That's why there are hundreds of different religions. Hundreds of different supposed ways to be made right with God. And yet as Christians, we're oftentimes seen as narrow-minded. Sometimes we're referred to as bigots. Because we hold to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ being the only way of true salvation and entrance into the door, or excuse me, entrance into the sheepfold. Notice what Jesus says. He who enters by me, he will be saved. What's the inference here? That those who don't enter by him are lost. When we say to someone who has not professed faith in Christ that they're lost, all we're saying is what Jesus has said. And we need to say it in tenderness, with compassion and love, because they are in a fearful condition. And Jesus says, it is only the ones who come entering in through me who are saved. The equation, salvation here, as we continue reading, is equated to being brought into the sphere of life. I have come that they may have life. The inference here also then must be that those who have not yet entered in through the door of Jesus Christ are dead. 
dead while they live. Dead to the spiritual things of God. The only way to come to life is through Jesus. The only way to have your sight restored, like the blind man in chapter 9, is to come to faith in Jesus. We're going to talk about the life abundant a little later, but I want to consider one more nuance of this Jesus being the door to the sheep. And I think in context, this might be the primary way we should consider it. Remembering that John 10 is an answer of Jesus to the Pharisees' question, are we blind also after Jesus has dealt with them basically telling them that they are thieves and robbers of the true people of God. I think there is a word here for those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ as under-shepherds. Faithful under-shepherds, pastors, only have access to the sheepfold of God through Christ. And what I'm trying to say here is, if we want to be heard, if I want to be heard, I must come and preach to you Jesus as being the Christ. I can't preach to you any other way and expect you to hear me. If I did, I would be a thief and a robber. And you can be assured that there are many who stand in pulpits today, who are thieves and robbers of the people of God, who are there to promote only themselves, there to promote their own ministries, and not to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the door of entrance to ministry to the sheepfold. We must preach Jesus and the truth that accords to Him. Any other ministry is to be characterized as thievery and robbery by not giving Jesus his due, by not proclaiming to the sheep the words that the sheep desire to hear. The second aspect of what Jesus means, I, I, I think we should consider as not only is he the door of entrance to the sheep, but he's the door of for the sheep, because he also says of himself being the door that not only must we enter by him, but that we can go in and out through him. He will go in and out and find pasture. And we can't help but see the relationship of the imagery of the 23rd Psalm here. Again, I'm just going to read that Psalm to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. 
Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what Jesus is referring to, that through him we will come in and out and find pasture. We must be on our guard. Thieves are still active. Robbers are still active. Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. As Paul is leaving the church at Ephesus, he reminds the elders there of these things. He says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Jesus, by his own admission in Matthew chapter 7, says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. I want you to look closely with me at verse 10 of this chapter. The thief does not come except to steal. And I want you to notice the direct opposite, the greatest contrast where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. And so we have these two things in direct opposition. And what we all need to realize is that we are held under the sway of one or the other. We are held under the sway of the Good Shepherd by hearing His voice coming to Him, or we are held under the sway of the thief and the robber whose only intention is destruction. But at the end of this verse, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I'm going to list for you several verses where the, quote, abundant life is taught in truth in the scriptures. But before I do that, I want to say to any of you will hear these words that it is only in Jesus that you will find real and true life. All the world has to offer you is fleeting fantasy. All of its fun, all of its pleasure, all of its money, all of its recognition, all of its fame is passing. And if that is what you're after, then you've been robbed. You've been plundered. You are on the road to destruction, which will end in your death. But there is another way. And again, the contrast is stark. Jesus refers to it as abundant 
life that they may have it more abundantly. And this is what the scriptures tell us over and over again. As Jesus deals with us, He always gives us Himself in abundant measure. He never deals with us sparingly. He never gives us just enough. And so the language of Psalm 23, again, our cup overflows. It runs over. And so we don't have to go far, and you can try to turn with me if you want, or I'll just give you the reference. In John chapter 1, verse 16, John writes, We of His fullness have received grace for grace. This is part of the abundant life that Jesus offers, an abundance of grace. How many of you want to just have a a bit of grace from Jesus? I don't. Just like you, I need an abundant measure because I fail often. I transgress against a holy God often and the need, His abundant Grace to lead me into the abundant life. And the life Jesus here is referring to is a life that is rich and full. One of the wiles of the devil, being the adversary, the thief and the robber, plants in the, in the minds and hearts of young people, middle-aged people and old people, that the Christian life is a drudgery. That the Christian life is nothing more than a list, a keeping a list of do's and don'ts. That living the Christian life will keep you from experiencing all the joys that life really has to offer. Nothing could be further from the truth. And even as I stand here, I'm aware that I can't convince you of that. Because no one was able to convince me of that. Except the Spirit of God making known to me the truth as it is in Jesus. And so my prayer for you is that the Spirit of God would make known to you the truth as it is in Jesus, that the Christian life is an abundant life, that it is the only abundant life. You're not going to miss out on anything, but that which tends to rob from you to steal from you, to destroy you, and possibly even kill you. That's the nature of the thief and the nature of the robber. Jesus, on the other hand, referred to in Romans chapter 5, verses 17, and then also in verse 20, Paul there is making the Distinction between all having sinned in Adam and all being made righteous in Christ. He says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, this will reign in the life of the one, namely Jesus Christ saying very much the same thing to the Ephesian church, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches 
of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Life in Christ, the Christian life is is a life of abundance. But not only of grace, also of joy. And let me ask you this question. I ask it in all sincerity. Do you want to be happy in this life? Do you want to live a life of joy? Fair question. I think everyone in the room would say yes. Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to be joyful. Well, let me tell you. Some of the circumstances of life are not joyous. Some of the circumstances of life are hard, grievous, difficult. And it is the Christian alone who can walk through those times with joy. Because the joy that we have that is given to us by Christ, circumstance doesn't dictate our joy. It doesn't remove it, take it away from us. This verse has been helpful to so many, and I want to read it to you. 2 Corinthians 8, 2. Paul here is writing about an offering that has been taken up for the Jerusalem church because they were so poor. And this offering had been accumulated by other poor Christians. And he says, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in riches of liberality. Isn't that interesting? The poor churches, members of these churches, Paul says they're not just poor, but they are in deep poverty. He combines that together with in the abundance of their joy. So here we are told that there are people in this life, in this world, who will live in deep poverty, yet who are abounding in joy. Why why is that? How can that be? Because they have entered the sheepfold by the door, and they are going in and out now, finding pasture. And Jesus, from the depth of their heart, in their soul, is communicating to them grace upon grace and joy upon joy. And their outward circumstances are not affecting the state of their heart and soul before God at all. See, that's real life. That's walking through the difficult circumstances of life in abundance of life. Here is another thing that I would, I would like to say to young, old, and everybody in between. Not only do we all want to be happy and joyful. Part of that is we all, to a degree, want to have a good time in life. 
We want life to be fun. Don't be robbed of the truth that the only fun to be had in life is a life lived in rebellion to God, rebellion to your parents, rebellion to any type of authority. That is simply a lie of the devil. And the end of that life is destruction. You see, while the life of the world offers everything, it delivers nothing. It's like a salesman, a smooth-talking salesman that offers everything, but in the end, can't make good on anything that he said or won't make good on anything that he said. So my prayer for you is that you will hear the voice of the true shepherd. The one who has your best interest in his very heart. Jesus isn't asking you to come to himself to remove all of the fun and joy out of life. He's asking you to come to himself to instill real meaning, lasting and eternal joy in life into your very soul. It was said of the Pharisees in the sixth verse of this chapter that even though Jesus used this illustration, they did not understand the things he spoke to them. I wonder if you have heard and understood the things Jesus has spoken to you. Have you heard the voice of the true shepherd as he has come to the door of the sheepfold and called out your name? His desire is to give you life. His desire is to protect you. His desire is to lead you. To feed you. In any other aspect that we would consider as being the abundant and eternal life. You might have the question, how does Jesus call me by name? And all I can say is there's an inward compelling. He'll use your conscience. He'll use his own word. And there is an inward compelling in the depth of your soul that you must answer him. And every attempt that you make to try to put that call down is met with frustration One of the great things to also think of is this shepherd is not only true and good, he's patient. He's patient. He will continue to call your name. He's not going to lose one of his sheep. 
Jesus told another parable. There's 99 accounted for. One that had gone missing. And it's that one that he went searching for. The true and good shepherd loves his sheep. And his great desire is for you to answer his call. That's my desire, and I think the desire of every Christian in the room. And we're going to end the service by praying that that will be a reality in your life. Father, we come to the end of this few moments of considering these great sayings of Jesus concerning himself. Lord, we realize that he is the only way of salvation. That there is no other way to enter into the sheepfold. There is no other door of abundant life. We thank you for the patience and the long-suffering of our shepherd. How long he called many of our voices until we finally came. Lord, I pray this morning that you would work in the lives of your people. That we would hear your voice. That we would follow you. That you would lead us out to the still water in the green pastures. And that we would live life abundantly having an abundance of grace, an abundance of mercy, an abundance of joy. Lord, give us more and more spiritual eyes to see past the enticements of this world, to see past the allurements of silver and gold, and all of the other things the world offers. Help us to recognize a thief as a thief and a robber as a robber. Give us discernment. Give us the ability to distinguish voices. The voices of the true shepherd over against the voices of all the false unfaithful, supposed shepherds. Father, would you work in the lives of the children in this room? In your time, in your way, would you bring them to faith? We trust you to do that. We know it accords with your mercy. Father, we pray that you would bless these words of yours as we've read them. We ask that you would do it for Jesus' sake, for his praise and glory, for our good. We ask it in his name. Amen.